take a moment to reflect. What does the word poverty mean to you? When thinking about poverty, what immediately comes to mind? You may have pictured a homeless man on the streets of Toronto holding up a sign that says, hungry, need money for food. Or maybe you thought of a group of visibly malnourished children in a developing nation. Perhaps rather, you imagined a family of 10 living in a tiny one-bedroom apartment. Poverty is a complex phenomenon that looks different across the world. It does not discriminate and can affect anyone regardless of their age, gender, or race. Some people experience poverty to some degree their whole life, whereas some may only become impoverished as an adult. My name is Claire Dunlop and I'm a psychology student at Mount Allison University. To be quite honest, I didn't know much about poverty and its accompanied stressors before starting my research for this podcast. I've learned surface level information in previous classes, but never had the chance to fully dive into it and immerse myself in research. Today, I will be sharing with you a bit of what I have learned on this important topic that requires careful attention. For the purpose of this episode, poverty should be thought of on a spectrum. It looks very different across the world, and for that reason, we will be focusing mainly on the poverty in more developed areas of the world, specifically North America. Regardless of location, in this episode, I will talk about the many components of poverty-related stress, all of which have harmful consequences on the body. So, without further ado, let's get started. Since there is a range in severity, two useful terms to consider are primary poverty and secondary poverty. Primary poverty refers to not having enough money to meet basic needs, such as shelter, clothing, and food. So, you could think of a homeless person as someone experiencing primary poverty. Secondary poverty is a bit different and occurs when someone earns just enough to afford necessities. They live paycheck to paycheck and are just barely able to stay afloat financially. From the outside looking in, you may not even be able to tell if someone is living with this kind of poverty. At school and in textbooks, you may have heard about people who are living below the poverty line. But what does that mean? Again, this is an example of primary poverty because someone is earning less money than the minimum level of income required to meet their basic needs. Those who live below the poverty line are impoverished and in need of assistance to regain control of their life. A phenomenal book called Burnout, The Secret to Unlocking the Stress Cycle, discusses stress and proposes strategies on how to deal with it. If you've never heard of this book, I would highly recommend reading it. It has literally changed my life, no exaggeration. In the Burnout book, the authors define stressors broadly as being what activates the stress response in your body. When considering the origins of stress, it is important to distinguish external stressors from internal stressors. External stressors are things like work, money, family, and experiences of discrimination. Internal stressors could include things like self-criticism, identity, and the future. So while the money side ties into external stress, a person experiencing poverty may also suffer from many of the internal stressors as a result. Poverty at any degree can cause people to experience lots of stress and worry. Being poor is stressful in and of itself, but there are also other inconveniences that can become major stressors. Imagine Olivia, who has an old beater car that she drives to work every day since she doesn't live near reliable transit. One day she's on her way to her shift when suddenly her car breaks down. The mechanic tells her that the engine is shot and she can't pay for repairs. Having no car, she now has to come up with the money to take a taxi to work, which is an extra unforeseen expense. Now imagine a different scenario where Olivia pays for a new engine in her car, but she can no longer pay for power at her house, so it gets shut off. No matter how you look at it, Olivia is unable to stay afloat financially. 
one stressor snowballs into a series of stressors. Think of another woman named Sarah. Her car also breaks down, but luckily, she makes more money and has accumulated a savings account. Paying for the new engine is not a huge deal for Sarah, and she doesn't give it much thought. She has to take a taxi to work for a few days, but while it is a minor inconvenience, it doesn't cause her financial distress. End of story. Olivia and Sarah's experiences look very different. Olivia has no money, while Sarah is comfortable financially. Sarah experiences the same event, but it doesn't snowball and lead to even more problems. Throughout the burnout book, the authors frequently mention being chased by a lion to describe an acutely stressful time or situation. Typically, stress stemming from poverty is chronic, which means it's long-term and ongoing. It is caused by impoverished living conditions, not the lion or tiger chasing after you. It's more like the lion is hovering over you, waiting to pounce. It is a repetitive feeling over and over, day after day. As you can imagine, this type of stress can have a negative effect on the body. There are biological health concerns that stem from poverty and a subsequent lack of access to healthcare. Poor individuals simply cannot afford doctor fees or drugs necessary for their well-being. Living in Canada, we have access to universal healthcare, but it certainly doesn't cover it all. For example, some medications prescribed as a treatment for cancer patients can cost hundreds or thousands of dollars each month. As if being diagnosed with a life-threatening illness isn't enough, not being able to afford the life-saving drugs can cause immense stress. Imagine there are drugs that could save your life, but you can't have them just because you aren't rich. Also, if poor folks have a medical emergency, they can't afford to go to the hospital via taxi or ambulance, nor do they own a car. Many barriers inhibit impoverished people from accessing the medical attention they want, need, and deserve. As a result, many health outcomes are related to poverty. To begin, health consequences from not being able to afford healthy food is a large issue which I will touch on later in the episode. Often, there is a focus on obesity that results from lack of access to healthy food, but on the opposite end of the spectrum is malnourishment, so not being able to afford any food. A variety of diseases may also come about as health consequences. Overcrowded and poor living conditions, like the example of a family of 10 living in the tiny one-bedroom apartment, can contribute to the spread of contagious airborne diseases like whooping cough. Lastly, another health concern involves illness stemming from a lack of clean water or sanitation. The health and well-being of poor folks can also be tied into a relevant topic with which we are all familiar, the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. Right now, I'm recording this episode in December 2020, so COVID is a big thing in our world. Homelessness is said to be on the rise in Canada with at least 235,000 people using homeless shelters each year. I can vividly recall my first time visiting Toronto with my family as a kid. Prior to this, I had never really been to a big city, so this was a whole new world for me. I will never forget this trip because it was the first time that I had ever seen a homeless person not on TV, but rather with my own two eyes. Especially in the downtown area, there were tarps and cardboard boxes in which homeless people would sleep. Some homeless folks were holding signs, begging for help and money. It was so sad and shocking. I ordered my dad to give cash to those who were asking, but wished there was more I could do to help. It was an eye-opening sight that has stuck with me to this day, and I'm sure many of you listening from smaller places who have the privilege to be housed your whole lives have experienced similar shocks. Needless to say, that memory immediately came to mind when I started working on this episode and has stayed with me throughout. The homeless population is exceptionally vulnerable during the unprecedented times of a global pandemic. 
Homeless people are struggling across the globe now more than ever as a result of COVID-19. When we were ordered to stay in our homes, think about it. They didn't have a home to stay in. Homeless folks all live in tight, crowded areas where they cannot socially distance. Due to the contagious nature of the virus, it is bound to quickly spread among the population. While there has been some unique funding to help, not enough is being done. In fact, the amount of funding provided to the rural homeless population has actually been disproportionately less than what has been given to urban homeless communities. Homelessness is still an issue in rural and remote communities, but they have not acquired the same amount of funding to aid in pandemic relief for these individuals. So far, we have seen some physical, biological signs of poverty. But what often goes unnoticed is the ailments suffered by an impoverished person simply due to the stress itself. You can think of these as somewhat invisible symptoms. The human body suffers from many side effects accompanied by stress. Our bodies are superb at responding to the acute stress of a physical challenge, like being chased by a lion, as I mentioned before. The circulatory, nervous, and immune systems are mobilized while the digestive and reproductive processes are suppressed. The issue is, if the stress becomes chronic, so not just a one-and-done stressor, the continued, monotonous repetition of these responses can cause major damage to the body. An individual could experience impaired memory and increased risk of depression, deteriorated immune response, and elevated blood pressure. They could also experience a higher risk of cardiovascular disease, high hormone levels, slow recovery from acute stress, and higher risks of infertility and miscarriage. So, many different causes can be identified that are linked to poverty and learned helplessness is one contributing factor. This helpless state occurs after a person has experienced a stressful situation repeatedly over and over and the same outcomes are achieved. They come to believe that they are unable to control or change the situation, so they stop trying. For instance, if a heavy smoker tries to quit but is never successful, they give up because they think nothing will ever work. It's impossible, so why bother trying? One study looked at poverty's influence on child development and parents' efforts to help children cope with their stress in relation to learned helplessness. Although the parents may not experience learned helplessness themselves, impoverished children who exhibit these helpless tendencies while they're young may be at risk of continuing the cycle as adults. The researchers predicted that children whose parents reported more daily poverty-related stressors would show a higher degree of learned helplessness. The results showed exactly that as poverty-related stressors did indeed impact children's developing sense of control. Another factor linked to poverty is adverse childhood experiences, also known as ACEs. To create an ACE score, one mark is added for each challenging and traumatizing occurrence experienced as a child. In total, there are 10 categories. The first five are physical, emotional, and sexual abuse, as well as physical and emotional neglect. The other five fall under the umbrella of household dysfunction and include things like mental illness and incarcerated relative. A higher ACE score reflects more adverse events that occurred during childhood. Lots of research has been done analyzing the connections between ACE scores and a number of other measures. Simply, the experience of poverty while growing up can also be counted as a childhood trauma. Nadine Burke-Harris presented a TED Talk addressing how this childhood trauma affects health across a lifetime, specifically how it affects the development of the brain. In the presentation, Harris explained that the trauma suffered by a child unfolds across a lifetime to the point where those who've experienced high levels of trauma are at triple the risk for heart disease and lung cancer. To clarify, the higher your ACE score, the worse your health outcomes. 
Unfortunately, ACEs are extremely common in today's society. Past studies have shown that one in four children in America is deemed poor. Think about this for a moment. Out of every four kids, one of them is living an impoverished life. It's challenging to reflect upon and share traumatizing memories from childhood, which is another aspect that Harris touches upon. People would rather suffer the harmful health consequences later in life and be sick than do a deep dive into terrible and upsetting childhood memories. So, we've seen some health consequences from poverty and stress respectively, but now it's time to look at the issues seen when the two interact to form poverty stress. Very interesting research was done on stress and coping in the lives of housed and homeless mothers. One article explored stress and coping processes among homeless women. In particular, they studied whether or not variations in depression levels in the group of homeless mothers would be linked to exposure to stressful life events. The researchers predicted that the group of homeless women would report higher levels of stress and depression than the group of housed women. At the same time, they expected that the association between stress, coping, and depression would be the same for the two groups. They found that there was a significant association between greater use of avoidance strategies and higher levels of reported depression for the groups of housed and homeless women. These researchers also suggested that jobs and housing needs to be more accessible to families. Another conclusion I came to after reading scientific articles is that obesity is affected by poverty and its accompanied stressors. This health consequence could be influenced by many factors. For instance, poor folks do not have access to healthy, fresh food. Think about how much it costs to go to the grocery store or a local market and buy enough ingredients to prepare a nutritious meal. Or you can save lots of time and money by having a microwave dinner that costs $2.50. It's clear, lack of access to healthy food options leads to more negative health outcomes. At the same time, spending less money on unhealthy processed foods may end up leading to more expenses regarding medical attention or medications. Maybe you simply can't afford the treatment, so you get even sicker. Nutritious foods should not be a luxury and should be accessible to everyone no matter their income and wealth. Some researchers have been interested in studying the effects of poverty on obesity levels. They used body mass index, more commonly known as BMI, as a measure of physical well-being. However, I should make a point to mention here that BMI is actually not a good measure of health. It was invented a long time ago by an academic who wanted to define the average man. It was a statistical measure to focus on group differences, so it should never be used on an individual level. To be quite honest, it's a lazy shortcut and does not give researchers any understanding of health-related factors. For instance, it doesn't tell you what someone eats, how often they exercise, or what toxins they're exposed to. In the same realm of study, it was found that residing in neighborhoods with higher concentrations of poverty increased one's risk of developing more central adiposity over time, so fat around the midsection. Although the researchers focused primarily on these central fat deposits on people, this has general implications for overall health as well. Studies have shown that fat around the middle is specifically linked to cardiovascular problems, like heart disease. As I've mentioned before, poverty is a vicious cycle. It is generational, meaning that one generation lives in poverty, then the next generation follows suit by also being impoverished, and so on and so forth. When someone falls into poverty, it can be extremely difficult to get back out. As we've already established, lifestyles of impoverished folks looks different in every geographic location across the world. One interesting subcategory is those who are working poor. 
This term encompasses people who are working a full-time job but still cannot afford housing in close proximity to their workplace. I came across a clip on YouTube that tells the story of Danielle, a 46-year-old woman who lives in her car with her teenage daughter. She is a university student in California who also works part-time. She tells the reporter that her salary, which is roughly $2,000 per month, is not enough to rent a room, but yet is too high to qualify for welfare benefits. Having nowhere else to go, she turned the back of her car into a living space. I think one common misconception is that people who are poor are lazy. Have you ever heard people complain about those who live on welfare or live off the government? Sadly, I know I have. This assumption is grossly unfair because no one truly knows what another is going through. I think it's also important to point out the stress these individuals suffer from. As Danielle says in the video, if you saw me on the street, would you think that I was homeless? No. I'm clean, I shower, you know, I work, I go to school. The mere fact of knowing that people blame you for your poverty can also contribute to this heightened mental load and stress level. Regardless of work status, having a home should be a basic human right. One way out of poverty is education. A high school diploma is a start, but these days a college certificate or university degree is required in many fields of work. I thought it was important to touch a bit on poverty as a student. Many of you currently live at home with your parents or guardians. You are most likely financially dependent on these caregivers. They probably buy the groceries, do your laundry, and pay the bills. After high school, this all changes. To further your education, many, if not all of you, will have to move out and seek some kind of financial aid to pay for school, such as a student loan. Like I just mentioned, university or other post-secondary education is challenging, but is required for many career paths. As if the schoolwork is not hard enough, students are also at risk of all sorts of poverty. One study examined the mental status and mental load of students who experience poverty. The researchers found that, overall, poor students suffer from worse mental health than their peers. Student loans are no joke and cause many students a lot of stress, and for good reason. It's a lot of money that you will have to pay back one day, plus interest. Despite their importance in paying for education, studies have shown that they can delay the transition to adulthood. This could mean pushing back marriage or the purchase of a home. Racking up student loan debt and being unable to afford to live is a common and often overlooked example of poverty. For many people, their early 20s is the poorest period of their entire lives while they're establishing themselves in careers and workforces. Often, student poverty and the resulting stress is not discussed in high schools. Learning these facts is not a scare tactic, but rather a heads up of what is to come. It is important to make wise choices and you need background information in order to make educated decisions during the formative years of your life. As we near the end of today's episode, it's important to consider some possible solutions to poverty and its resulting stress. One of the biggest helps would be creating jobs and raising minimum wage. Job availability is painfully low at the moment and even those who do have minimum wage jobs, like Danielle, are unable to afford the basics in life. Another possibility is increasing the public's access to formal education. Being poor should not mean that someone doesn't have the right to whatever education they want. Moving forward, various organizations need to keep fighting to reduce poverty around the world. We now know so much more about the impact poverty has on the body, physically, as well as side effects that aren't so obvious. The stress from poverty causes many psychological side effects, which are equally as severe. We also know it is especially important to reduce the poverty suffered by children as adverse childhood experiences can cause the cycle to repeat. When creating this episode, I found the most challenging part was narrowing down the topics to discuss. 
Poverty and stress are such complex issues which may be analyzed from many different angles. I could produce a 12-hour long episode and still not touch on all of the bodily effects, contributing factors, and possible solutions. Poverty is a tricky and touchy subject. It affects different people in different ways and is a global concern. Poverty is both a humanitarian and a health crisis. But there is plenty of hope and good news. There are so many amazing initiatives going on worldwide. Great organizations and leaders across the planet are working day and night to find solutions to minimize the number of those who are impoverished. If we all work together, we can make a difference and work towards the reduction of poverty and its accompanied stressors. Thanks for listening to my episode. This is Fine, a podcast about stress, burnout, and resilience was created by students at Mount Allison University. The students created each episode as part of a fourth-year psychology class called Stress, Burnout, and Resilience, taught by me, Dr. Lisa Don Hamilton. There's a link in the show notes to access the full script with references. You can also go to mta.ca slash psychology and click on the This Is Fine podcast link. Episodes were recorded at the CHMA studios in Sackville, New Brunswick, or over the internet when that wasn't possible. Script assistance, podcast basics, and training were provided by Matt Tunnicliffe. Music and audio production by Jeremy Dahl at paleblue.studios. Thanks for listening and for supporting these students' foray into the world of podcasting. <laughs>